0: You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality. So great to be with you again now in the new year. And let me begin as I do each program by welcoming my co host, Francis Harry. Francis, so great to be in studio with you in 2016.
1: Amen. And Merry Christmas. I think we're on the 11th day of Christmas, Mark. I hope you're still celebrating. Oh,
0: I am still <laughs> celebrating. In fact, we were just talking, Francis and I, before we came on the air. I hope everybody's still celebrating Christmas because. The church, Francis, as you described before we came on, takes this wonderful season of celebration all the way until when?
1: Um, Well, it depends on how you look at it. The (laughs) secular world takes it up to the (laughs) 25th. Right.
0: And then it's over, right?
1: Right. But the church goes up to um, the baptism of the Lord. Now, the 12 days after Christmas, in fact, I remember my mother when I was little, she would talk about Twelfth Night, and I'm like, what's? 12th night. Well, it was the 12th night after Christmas, right. and it was the eve before the epiphany, which was traditionally January the 6th, and now um, in the United States, the bishops moved that celebration to Sunday, so we just celebrated the epiphany yesterday, mm-hmm. um, but traditionally the date was January 6th, but the church continues. Um, so this week, if you're going to daily mass, um, which I invite all of you to do as much as you can... Um, they call these Christmas weekdays. Right. And so this goes through all this week up until the baptism of the Lord, which will be <laughs> on next Sunday, January the 11th. So, yes, Merry Christmas and um, blessings to you on Epiphany um, from Sunday and the one to come on the On 6th.
0: Wednesday, right, the actual I mean, and, one.
1: And it's so wonderful that tonight our topic is on pondering the Epiphany because um, there is a lot of food for thought um, as we we uh, get into some of what happens during the epiphany and what that means to us spiritually. So uh, you've given us some great notes to go from tonight, so I'm anxious to share all of them.
0: Well, it. I confess that um, I drew a lot of this from uh, some investigation of Carmelite sites. I, I limited myself to Carmelite sites. Although uh, I, I will say I'll give credit to a, a, a Tim Staples, who provided a, a mixture of notes that we... Uh, are going to discuss this evening um, though we both francis and i uh, sort of wove through it a carmelite theme this is after all carmelite conversations a program on carmelite spirituality so um, we carmelites of course have a great deal of uh enthusiasm for the feast of the epiphany you know francis that um some of the research we did cautions that so often Christmas overshadows the Epiphany, but the Epiphany really is the fulfillment of the Christmas experience in the sense that now we celebrate the coming of the Lord into our own individual lives. This is the the uh, deepest meaning of the Incarnation. We're going to talk about that as we go into the conversation, but uh, I want to give you both a chance to respond and then to get us into prayer here as we begin.
1: Well, I was looking up the history of of Epiphany and... If if what I read was correct, they said that the uh, celebration of the Epiphany was happening before the feast of Christmas was established. Mm. Um, now I know on a, a small plane, of course they were celebrating Christ's right. birth, but on we're talking church worldwide, um, at an established feast, uh, and I don't know if that's. Accurate or not, uh, but from the research I read, uh, I just saw that on one source i didn 't have time to go into it, but I was like, "Wow, the epiphany, and of course, the eastern orthodox uh, that 's very uh, m- more emphasis is put on the epiphany mm-hmm. um, than on on the Christmas or or they join them together on they January sixth yeah, right, yeah yeah, so all right well we, we do have this opening prayer. And I actually got this from a book called Advent and Christmas with the Saints, compiled by Anthony (laughs) Clifolo. And so I'd like to share that with you. So let us get quiet and in that silent night, that holy night, and go within, enter within to be with our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Here I am, O holy infant, As the Magi carried the good news of your birth to the whole world, so anoint me as your messenger that I, too, might bear the news of your eminence to a people in need of rejoicing, both today and throughout the coming year. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, you know, Francis, again, we were talking just before we came on air. Uh, reiterating, as we often do, the central theme of our weekly conversations, which is that no matter what our walk of life, no matter what our age, no matter what our intellectual capabilities, no matter what our experiences in life, we're all called to a contemplative encounter with the living God. And so we can go back and forth on some of these interesting topics about uh, dates and events and and uh, historical data that we do know and that which we don't. Um, but for us as Carmelites, of course, what we really want to focus on is the mystical aspect of the Epiphany and the significance of it for our individual lives and more to the point, perhaps, for our prayer life. And so in concert with that, we are going to spend the first half of our conversation talking about some deeper meaning, deeper understanding, pondering, as you had suggested, uh, of the epiphany. And then in the second half, for our listeners' benefit, so they'll know, we're really going to invite you to get into a quiet, serene um, um private to the extent that you can while you listen to us, place. And we're actually going to go through a meditative reflection on the epiphany, using scripture, of course, and also using um, the material that we've pulled together to help our listeners enter into that experience, that mystical experience. And, And whether we get through all the material or not is really not important. What matters most is this introduction to the Epiphany, and I think great uh, timing, Francis, as you had indicated earlier, uh, that we're doing this a couple of days before, because it now then gives our, read, uh, our listeners an opportunity to really take the next couple of days and reflect on the significance of this important feast and to begin to enter into it, even now two days before.
1: So as you said earlier, Mark, <laughs> In the English-speaking world, at least, the Feast of Epiphany has been overshadowed by Christmas, which, of course, has become very secularized, and in, in especially in the United States. But unless we realize the significance of Epiphany, then we only see one side of this mystery. So now, after contemplating the staggering fact that God has become a human child, we turn to look at this mystery from the opposite angle, which was a, a paradox in a sense, and realized that this seemingly helpless child is in fact the omnipotent God, the king and ruler of the universe.
0: Yeah, the Feast um, of Christ Divinity completes the, the Feast of His Humanity. It fulfills the uh, Advent longing for the King, who is to come with great power and majesty. And we see, whereas Christmas is the family feast, Epiphany is really the great world feast of the Catholic Church. And again, I want to reiterate, much of what Francis and I are going to walk you through uh, is uh, literature that we've drawn from uh, uh, different Carmelite sites and um Uh, uh, Carmelite reflections on the importance of the epiphany. I I just want to make sure we're keeping that linkage to our Carmelite tradition, but um, I don't want to suggest this is uh, um, in any way new material. It it is well-researched and has been uh, available to us um, uh, on the internet, and so uh, we want to share it with you as much to Uh, provide the historical backdrop and the significance as to use it as a precursor to entering into the prayer experience that we'll walk into later. So Francis there are four this particular research uh, revealed four uh, individual um, aspects if you will of the uh, Feast of the Epiphany and we want to walk through each one of those. You want to begin by taking us through this first one?
1: Well, I, I want to name the four. Okay. Um, because, you know, this is a complex feast and e- since it's originated in the Eastern Church. Um, where the people think a little differently uh, and their uh, approach to things are different from the Western Church. You know, it's like a rich oriental tapestry. I'm thinking of St. Mary of Jesus crucified from the Orient (laughs) and how this would go right up her alley. But there are various themes that are woven, and these four themes that you are bringing uh, forth for us today now can be seen from their more mystical significance. So these are the four, the Divine Manifestation, two, the royal kingship, three, your light is come, and four, the royal nuptials. So the first one, Mark, why don't you tell us about the divine manifestation?
0: So divine manifestation, the epiphany takes this name uh, from the Greek epiphana. Naya. I hope I'm saying that right. My Greek's not that great. Uh, Which denotes a visit of God to earth. Of course, we immediately realize the reference to the incarnation. Uh, The first idea of this feast is the manifestation of Christ as the Son of God, begotten before the day star, before all ages, the Lord our Savior, is this day made manifest to the world. We realize in the coming of the Lord Something has happened in history, something significant in the history of our human experience. The feast actually unites three significant and separate events in the life of Christ when his divinity, as it were, comes through his humanity. It shines, overshines his humanity. The first of these, the Adoration of the Magi, Second, the baptism of Christ in the Jordan, and the first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana.
1: Now, Mark, I, I was going through my readings because I'm a lector, and I'm like reading the Sunday readings, and I'm like, I don't see the one on the baptism. Where's that? And I'm looking for the daily readings. I don't see it there. But you know where it is? <laughs> it was in the office. Oh. Okay. So that's where. Uh, so if you're wondering where that one is and why we can say these three are the church blends these three as the manifestations of his divinity, that's that's where we're uh, grabbing that fun. So um, this comes from the octave and also the second Sunday after epiphany and then the off So and then the days after keep showing us more of the miracles and some of his most striking um, shows of his power and authority. So that leads us into the second point, the royal kingship. And I, I want you to introduce this, Mark, um, because I have a lot to add to this one. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Let me let me give the, the uh, sort of uh, boilerplate here. The second important uh, epiphany uh, idea, uh, Francis just mentioned, royal kingship, certainly not new to us. This is an extension of Christ's kingship now to the entire world. The revelation of Christ to the three kings at Bethlehem is really a symbol of his revelation to the whole of the Gentile world. Epiphany presents to us this calling, not merely of a chosen few, but all nations in Christianity. So it's really the fullest manifestation of Christ's kingship.
1: Right, so the Gentiles would have been the non Jews. That's mm-hmm. who we're talking about. All right, name the three kings, Mark. <laughs> do oh, you no. remember Don't who they are?
0: <laughs> Don't test me this way. No. Actually, it's right. debatable. We know this, right? It's debatable whether there were three, but, but uh, we do know names That's true, but for the them.
1: traditional yeah. names, as the legend goes, um, are Balthazar, Melchior, and Gasper, or Casper with a C. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- what is significant is that these three letters, B, M, and G, are, are used for a Latin phrase, Christus Mansionum Benedicca, which means, may Christ bless you. This house now in our home we have the tradition on Epiphany to go above the door, the door frame right, sure. yeah. and write those three initials plus the year 2016 mm-hmm. and um, with a cross in between all the letters and so and then we do a house blessing with holy water throughout the house. It's a beautiful tradition. So I want to encourage you to do that. You still have time, yeah. you know. So um, pick pick up some chalk um, or a pencil uh, that can be erased because um, the next year you're want to change it, right? (laughs) Uh, But you use the initials for the three kings, uh, the B, M, and G, or B, M, C. So it's Gasper or Casper, and that's the legend. Okay, now I want to compare their gifts. you remember the three gifts? What are the three gifts, Mark? Uh,
0: That I remember, gold, frankincense, and myrrh.
1: Okay, now what's interesting about that is that we can apply those to the evangelical councils. And this is important as a Carmelite, because when we make our promises, we make a promise to tend toward evangelical perfection in the spirit of the evangelical counsels of chastity, poverty, and obedience. So we can offer the newborn king the gold of our obedience, the frankincense of poverty, and the mysterious myrrh of chastity. Well, the precious gold represents the offering of our most precious treasure, which is our will. That's the only thing that nobody can take from us. Yes. The frankincense (laughs) of poverty is our complete trust in God. The burning of this incense carries our prayers heavenward. Our trust rises to his throne as a sweet perfume. And then the myrrh of chastity redirects our natural affections into supernatural love, a love that makes us die to all that is purely human. So myrrh was also known for its antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties, and it had been used to treat wounds and bruises and swelling. So the myrrh of chastity can be used now to heal the wounds of hearts and help to turn hearts back to God. So in many Carmelite communities, uh, the Feast of the Epiphany is a time when they um, renew their commitment to the promises toward the evangelical councils and ask for the grace to manifest Christ to others in the world with more fidelity than ever. Now, I actually got that information um, from a blogger that I love to read, um, Just and I just know the nickname, A Solitary Bird. And so I got that off of her. But now, from Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, she, in her um uh, the hidden life and epiphany. Uh, she talks about um, that. Uh, she says we we that the baby Jesus is stretching out his hands, waiting for our gifts. That Jesus wanted the pure gold of a heart detached from all earthly goods. The myrrh of a renunciation of all the happiness of this world in exchange for participation in the life and suffering of Jesus, and then the frankincense of a will that surrenders itself and strains upward to lose itself in the divine will, and in return for these gifts the Christ child gives himself.
0: Yeah, I'm going to ask you to read that again because I think that is a critically important uh, theme about epiphany. You've sort of led up to it, and now I think Edith Stein is really um uh, you know articulated it as well as it could be said and that is this idea that we must become the gift Francis at the mm-hmm. epiphany we ourselves are the gift elaborated in the way I'm going to ask you to read it again but um that is the message I think of the epiphanies that we now Christ has given himself to us that's Christmas we must now give ourselves to him and I think this is as well said as anybody could say it
1: well I'm going to back up and add two sentences here <laughs> She says, we knew God, but we felt that he desired to be sought and found by us in a new way, like we're following the star. Therefore, we wanted to open ourselves and sought for a star to show us the right way. And it arose for us in the grace of vocation. That would apply to the third orders as well. We followed it and found the divine infant. He stretched out his hands for our gifts. He wanted the pure gold of a heart detached from all earthly goods, the myrrh of a renunciation of all the happiness of this world in exchange for participation in the life and suffering of Jesus, and the frankincense of a will that surrenders itself and strains upward to lose itself in the divine will in return for these gifts, the divine child gave us himself
0: yeah, and if we really take the time to reflect on that, most especially these next two days, one, I would contend that we 're going to have a grace filled epiphany, but two. We will be challenged by that sentence from the hidden life from uh, St. Teresa Benedictus, so it's well worth going over that again.
1: And there's one more thing about the royal kingship. Um, when the shepherds came and later when the th- three kings came, you know— the scripture talks about Jesus and his swaddling clothes. I just read about a mystic, Cora Evans. She's an American mystic. And of course, this is private revelation, but it, it highlighted a, something that I'd never read before. And that was that uh, the uh, people in the temple, um, the women who were in the temple uh, dedicated to the Lord, the virgins, they would make every 25 years these special swaddling clothes that were for the king, the awaited Messiah, and that what Jesus had on, his swaddling clothes, were those from the temple. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, because I always <laughs> wondered, Now, well, what did the shepherds see when they looked and saw this baby, you know, wrapped up in clothes in this manger, you know, did... You know, my thought was, geez, he's just a poor baby. <laughs> but, you know, that accent on that these were very special swaddling clothes, only fit for a king, and they were only sewn every 25 years in hopes for the Messiah. So I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that. Well, All right, thank so you. Now we go to the third point.
0: The third point, the third idea of Epiphany is this idea of your light is come. And I just want to uh, address this um, Um, somewhat quickly, more, more quickly than the the previous, uh, because this is something I I believe we're all familiar with. And it's the idea that through Advent, we're living in darkness Mm -hmm. with Christmas. Of course, the light comes uh, and we we prayed and we waited in the spirit of the Jewish nation, <clears throat> which lived in this expectation of the coming of the light during the thousand years for them. At Christmas, the light finally shone forth, but dimly at Christmas, seen only by a few at the crib. We know this, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. But at the epiphany, this light now bursts forth to all the nations. We just mentioned that. And the prophecy fulfilled is, the Gentiles shall walk in thy light, And kings, in the brightness of thy rising, the mysterious star of the Epiphany flashing like a flame is still this other facet of the light motif. It's a symbol capable of being interpreted by a dozen different ways or in a different different ways. But the point is, this is where the light really bursts into our world. Moreover, Epiphany demands that like these kings, we should return to our own countries in a different way. Caring to all those we meet the light of Christ. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, says the epistle of the Epiphany Mass, and amidst the, people, uh, and amidst the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall walk in thy light. These words may be applied to us, upon whom the light of Christ, of course, has indeed risen, and who have the responsibility now, Francis, as we talked about, this transformation, that we believe is is a gift of the epiphany, we have that responsibility to radiate that light in the darkness of a world, and let's accept that our world is in a great deal of darkness at this point. It's clear how much this Feast of the Epiphany must mean to all who are engaged in an apostolate for the kingdom of Christ. We must now live this epiphany. Having given ourselves over as gift, we must now live it.
1: This reminds me of the song, This little light of mine, I can let it shine. Okay, but you know... The the kings went back a different way because uh, one interpretation was that they have been changed. They had an encounter with the Lord, and so must we. When we have an encounter with the Lord, we are changed, and therefore we change our direction. We go a different way. And the final uh, category is the royal nuptials. So, besides the important ideas outlined above, the first three that we mentioned. There's still this great theme threaded through the Epiphany Feast of the Royal Nuptials, the wedding of Christ with humanity, is an idea on a completely different level from the historical events which the Epiphany celebrates, yet it's inextricably bound up with them. For example, the historical marriage feast of Cana is used by the Church to suggest the setting of Christ's nuptials with the Church, Christ being the groom and the Church being the bride. The wise men then represent not only the three Persian magi adoring the babe 2,000 years ago at Bethlehem, but also the Gentile world hurrying to the wedding feast at the end of time when mankind's nuptials with the divine bridegroom will be celebrated. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not only tokens for the little baby in the stable, but royal wedding gifts for the mystical marriage feast of heaven. The epiphany antiphon, I, I want to read that, and then I want you to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the epiphany antiphon found in the evening prayer. Today the bridegroom claims his bride, the church. Since Christ has washed his sins away in Jordan's waters, the magi hasten with their gifts to the royal wedding, and the wedding, gifts, wedding guests rejoice, for Christ has changed water into wine hallelujah
0: well we did a conversation on the Feast of Cana if you recall and yeah. the significance of that and seeing it as a foreshadowing of course of the great wedding feast that we will all participate in uh, when uh, Christ both returns in glory and and um, and consummates, if you will, this relationship with his bride, the church. So this is a foreshadowing. This is anticipating this great event, this great feast. And the joy of it is something that we experience at the Epiphany. And the degree to which that we uh, interiorize that is the degree to which we can then carry that same message to the world. So that's the significance of it. When we come back from a break, we're going to begin a Lectio Divina, on the Feast of the Epiphany and hope that you will be able to join us for that try to get yourself in the next few minutes in that prayerful quiet state and we'll be right back a reminder you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria a Christian voice in your home and we'll be right back
2: Say, take this bread, take this wine. Now the simple, made divine for any to receive. By your mercy, we come to your table. listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations of Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry.
0: Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality. As we talked about when we began the conversation today, we reiterated the importance of having um, the theme of really all of Francis's and my conversations being about um, the contemplative experience with the, the living God being available to all of us. But of course, in order for that to be uh, uh, available and and for us to experience it, we need to pray. And so we thought... The best way to enter into the Epiphany, given that we do have yet two days before um, that uh, marvelous feast in our church, we would begin with this um, Lectio Divina, actually, and offering up an opportunity for our listeners to enter into prayer with us. We'll provide a little bit of backdrop. In fact, I'd like to read from the Carmelite Constitutions first the significance of Lexio Divina for us as Carmelites. It states, simply, Lectio Divina is an authentic source of Christian spirituality recommended by our rule. That's the Carmelite rule. We therefore practice it every day so that we may develop a deep and genuine love for it and so that we may grow in the surpassing knowledge of Christ. In this way, we shall put into practice the Apostle Paul's commandment, which is mentioned in our rule, <clears throat> let the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, live abundantly in your mouth and in your hearts, and whatever you must do, do it in the name of the Lord.
1: Now, Mark, I have to add that this would be in the ancient observance That's Carmelite constitution. That's correct. It's for the old Carms.
0: Um, in fact,
1: this the, this whole Lectio Divina that we're going to do um, Can be found on uh, www.ocarm.org, and then you would look for the Feast of the Epiphany. So that's where we're pulling this from, but we wanted to do this live with you.
0: We're going to start as you would um, any Lexio Divina. In fact, let's uh, begin even before that, Francis. Remind us of the four stages of Lexio Divina so that our listeners can see what we're we're, uh, migrating through here as we do this.
1: Well, the traditional four steps are Lexio. Two, meditatio. Three, oratio. Four, contemplatio. And basically... Lexio is the reading of the scripture. Two, the meditatio is meditating or uh, or thinking about it. What strikes you? Three, the oratio is to to ponder it, um, the, the or conversation, talk, conversation. Right. Yes, that's right. And, and the last one, contemplatio, is to ponder it, and then usually that's where you make a resolution on how you're going to change how this word is changing you. What it the applies, yeah, yeah, to you
0: internally. Uh, a better word, perhaps, even for the for the uh, oratio, would be dialogue, right? The, yeah. Teresa uses Thank dialogue, you. yes, um, right. but dialogue, of course, with Christ, or or it could be with another uh, spiritual figure. But um, so we're going to begin that. Uh, we already did actually, as we went to break, we encouraged you to do the first, which we didn't actually mention, but we'll do it now, <clears throat> and that is the preparation. You wouldn't ever. Uh, just sort of jump into prayer, right? You, you want to take time, as Frances does, when she leads us in prayer each week, and she encourages us to get into uh, a, a silent state, uh, relax our body. That's very important. Some of us do better in the dark. Some of us do better before a candle. Uh, but whatever works for you, that's very important. We want to settle our hearts and our minds in a way that will allow us to enter into the prayer experience. And so preparation is extremely important. In fairness, we didn't give you a call last night and say, you know, plan 24 <laughs> hours in advance. But, uh, but even the few minutes, um, which is called approximate preparation um, is very important. And that of course has, has uh, begun. And now Francis, I'm going to invite you, if you wouldn't mind um, to give us the opening Prayer that we have to this meditation that sort of helps set the stage for us.
1: Well, and I want to mention the scripture <clears throat> passage. It is the Magi's journey of faith, the adoration of the child Jesus as King and Lord. And this would be found in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Merciful Father, you have called me to meet you. In this word of the gospel, because you wish that I may have life, you wish to give me yourself. Send, I pray you, your Holy Spirit upon me so that I may let myself be led along the holy way of this passage of scripture. May I today get out of my prison to set out on a journey to seek you. May I recognize the star that you have lit as a sign of your love on my journey to follow it tirelessly, intensely, committing my whole life. May I finally enter your house and there see the Lord. May I bend low humbly before you to adore you and offer my life to you, all that I am and all that I have. Lord, by your grace, may I return by a new route without ever passing through the old paths of sin. Amen.
0: Now, just to set the context for this uh, passage that we're going to read, the passage actually begins in the first two chapters of Matthew, as uh, Francis said, uh, which constitute a kind of a prologue to the, ho- to the whole work. Um, here is presented with an historical origin of the Messiah as Son of David, as well as the divine origin of Jesus Christ, God with us. Matthew then immediately leads into a very deep and engaging meditation placing before us a precise choice through the persons that he introduces in his story we either recognize and welcome the lord who is just born or we remain perhaps indifferent even waiting to uh, wanting rather to eliminate or kill him as Uh, would later be the case. This passage, though, offers us the beautiful story of the journey of the Magi who come from afar because they want to seek and welcome, love and adore this Jesus, uh, their Lord. But their long journey, their tireless search, the conversion of their heart are facts that speak to us individually. Facts already written on a scroll, which is our individual personal history. We are all seeking God. We seek him within, but we are all on this journey, on this path. And so let me begin by just uh, providing a backdrop to the very first um, verse, Matthew 2, 1 through 2. The passage is divided, this particular one, into two main parts uh, determined by the locality where the scenes take place. The first, 2, 1 through 9, takes place in Jerusalem. The second part is actually focused around Bethlehem. The passage begins with precise indications as to the place and the time of the birth of Jesus, of course that's Bethlehem of Judea, and at the time of King Herod. We know that historically. Within quite a specific description, the Magi suddenly appear. The dates of their appearance and the specificity around uh, their Origin and so forth are not as important to us here. Again, we're trying to enter into the mystical, and we see the Magi as ourselves, a long journey. This is life, many struggles, many trials, but we're looking for the light, which we've heard has been revealed to us, who come now from afar, they arrive in Jerusalem under the guidance of the star. It is they who announce the birth of the Lord, the King, and they ask where they might find him because they wish to adore him, they wish to experience him, they wish to encounter this light that they have waited for for so long.
1: And in the next couple of lines, Matthew 2, 3-6, through 6, on hearing the words of the Magi, King Herod, and with him all of Jerusalem, are disturbed and afraid. Rather than welcoming the Lord and opting for him, they're going to seek to eliminate him, get rid of him. Herod caused the authorities of the Jewish people and the experts in Scripture. I thought that was interesting because you would think that the experts of Scripture and the Jewish peoples who are waiting for the Messiah, you know, would know to be watching for him, that his star was going to shine. Um, but, you know, they they do help Herod by telling him about the ancient prophecies, and they speak and reveal Bethlehem as the place to find the Messiah. But then, of course, do they go after him? No. So that goes on to the next verse, Matthew 2, 7 through 8.
0: Yeah, Herod calls the Magi in in secret because he wants to use them for his own evil ends. And we are are asked to sort of challenge ourselves. P- Francis and I are providing you a reflection. Um, it may not be the reflection you would choose individually if you had read these scripture verses and were doing this meditation. This is a separate and distinct uh, meditation. But here is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, are we or are, have we ever been, Herod, wanting to use Christ it says for his own evil purposes, but in fairness, even for our individual selfish purposes, though that may not be evil, it's still inconsistent with what we are called to be in Christ. Do we use Christ for our own purposes? Are we fascinated by what we can encounter in church because we see some benefit that accrues to us? We have to ask ourselves this. When and if if so, how have we played Herod? His detailed interest in the entirety is directed towards the elimination of Christ. And again, I would say uh, we know this uh, this phenomenon is unfortunately rampant in our world. Those who want to find Christ so they can eliminate him in the public sector, in in schools, in uh, political discourse and all the rest. We see Herod playing out on the world stage today.
1: And here he is, the author of life who could give him life eternal Herod wants to snuff out.
0: Wants to eliminate it, right? And
1: you know, even in the um uh abortion controversy, you know, they're snuffing out the life. Life that could be given uh great life to the whole world. And so uh we have to look and see how does this apply to today to me right now.
0: And even if we're not actively participating in an effort to eliminate Christ from the public space, are we perhaps remaining silent in that regard, standing off on the side and not participating in being that light and bringing it back to uh, the world in the way that we've been challenged to do that?
1: And it was an interesting point that St. John Chrysostom was pointing out that the star was hidden from the... Magi for a while, which forced the Magi to go, go to the see. authorities to ask where the king would be. And uh, St. John Chrysostom says that happened so that it would force them to uh, bring to the fore this knowledge of the birth of the king. And so that Herod would know, all these people would know. And yet they made their choice. And some of them chose the light, like the, the wise men. And some of them chose darkness.
0: Well, of course, the Magi are urged on by strength of faith and led by the star the light. They leave again and they go towards Bethlehem. This is actually Matthew 2, 9a, the beginning of of, uh, verse 9. Um, And then the star reappears.
1: Their faith is rewarded and the faith, the star comes back now.
0: (laughs) Reappears, it moves with the Magi and leads them to the exact spot where the Lord Jesus is to be found. Full of joy, they enter the house and prostrate themselves. They offer their precious gifts because they recognize that he is, in fact, King and Lord. And, of course, the gifts refer to uh, the gifts that Francis elaborated on a little bit earlier. But we know that this gift, singularly, is us. It is ourself. It is our will. It is our willingness to abandon all the pleasures of this life and to, like the Magi, seek Christ above everything else.
1: When they have contemplated and adored the Lord in Matthew 2.12, the Magi receive a revelation from God. It is he who speaks to them. Now they are made new. They have in them a new heaven and a new earth. They're free of the deceits of Herod. They have the light, and therefore now they go back to their lives by an entirely new way, while as Herod is left in the dark. The darkness of his evil choices, this murdering uh, of the children under age two who, you know, attempts to snuff out the light, but God is in charge and the light will never be snuffed out.
0: Now, in Lexio, we've actually taken you through, we gave reference to the verses that we would read. We've taken you through the backdrop and the historical details to the extent they're known, interesting as though they are, that they're not, as they may be rather, they're not pertinent to... Um, the meditation and eventually a contemplation that we want to uh, have each of you engage in individually. But um, we now want to go back and read the text so that you have the text that you can reflect on. And this is where uh, both meditation, which we've just addressed, and the beginning of dialogue and conversation would happen.
1: So um, as we read this, then you think about what phrases strike your heart? What sticks out to you? You've already got a lot of instruction about the context, about some keys to the passage to help you in the understanding of it. So now as this gospel is proclaimed by Mark, um, think of what passages strike your heart.
0: After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign of King Herod, suddenly some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east, asking, Where is the infant king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was perturbed, and so was the whole of Jerusalem. HE CALLED TOGETHER ALL THE CHIEF PRIESTS AND THE SCRIBES OF THE PEOPLE AND INQUIRED OF THEM WHERE THE CHRIST WAS TO BE BORN. THEY TOLD HIM, AT BETHLEHEM IN JUDEA, FOR THIS IS WHAT THE PROPHET WROTE. AND YOU, BETHLEHEM IN THE LAND OF Judah, YOU ARE BY NO MEANS THE LEAST AMONG THE LEADERS OF Judah, FOR FROM YOU WILL COME A LEADER WHO WILL BE SHEPHERD OF MY PEOPLE ISRAEL. THEN HEROD SUMMONED THE WISE MEN TO SEE HIM PRIVATELY. HE ASKED THEM THE EXACT DATE ON WHICH THE STAR HAD APPEARED, AND SENT THEM ON TO BETHLEHEM WITH THE WORDS, GO AND FIND OUT ALL ABOUT THE CHILD, AND WHEN YOU HAVE FOUND HIM, LET ME KNOW, SO THAT I TOO MAY GO AND DO HIM HOMAGE. HAVING LISTENED TO WHAT THE KING HAD TO SAY, THEY SET OUT, AND SUDDENLY THE STAR THAT THEY HAD SEEN RISING WENT FORWARD AND HALTED OVER THE PLACE WHERE THE CHILD WAS. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going into the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees they did him homage. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were given a warning in a dream not to go back to Herod, and return to their own country by a different way.
1: So at this point, you would just take some silence and just ponder, you know, what in that reading struck you. And from this website uh, that has provided this Lexio Divina on this reading for us, they have brought up a few of the phrases that struck them. The, the first one was the question that was asked, where is the infant king of the Jews? So do I really feel attracted to the place where the Lord is because I desire to be with him? And and how does this apply to my life? Well, am I ready to leave my dark, sinful ways, my old habits of comfort that are maybe selfish to undertake this journey? And it's a hard journey in many cases, this journey of faith in search of Jesus.
0: They say, then, we have come to adore him. Here, the word of the Lord tests me individually on a very personal basis, puts me through a crucible. Do I really live in relationship of love with God? Do I know God? Do I desire to know God? Do I want God to know me? And I don't mean the me that we want to present to everyone in the world that keeps us protected and sheltered, but do I want God to know the real me? Am I able to open my life in his presence, and allow him to enter into the very heartbeat of my life? This is the challenge. We have come to adore him, and adoration means paying him homage, yes, but revealing ourselves as we truly are before him.
1: I mean, notice that the, the kings, they, they prostrated themselves, they lowered themselves. And I know um, at the place where they've ne- designated, um, where they think, Christ was born there is a door of humility it's it's low and you have to stoop to get in to to see this designated place Um, another point you might think uh, applies to you um, from you will come a leader who will shepherd my people okay so who is the leader that I'm looking to and am I capable of placing my whole existence under the guidance of the Lord Do I really trust him in his love, this love that is so real, um, but yet now is invisible that we have to exercise our faith. How much do I let Jesus rule my life, shepherd me?
0: Finally, going into the house, they saw the child. This is precisely because they accepted, they went into, they entered in, or we might say entered into communion to give themselves fully and truly that their eyes would be opened and they would see. They can contemplate and they recognize. And of course, you might recognize that we're now entering into that stage uh, of thinking about contemplating the Lord. Their eyes could see. Why is it sometimes that we find ourselves unaware of the facts. And the more we stay outside, the more distant we become, not just from our Lord, but also from our brothers and sisters. The more we become sad and empty, maybe even depressed, the more we seem to be in the darkness and unaware of what it is that God is calling us to. We have to enter in. We have to experience. We have to witness Jesus. We have to enter into communion with Him. That's what the Magi did. And when they did it, Their eyes were open and they were able to recognize and they were able to contemplate and they were able to pay him homage.
1: Besides finding phrases that strike you, you might find just a word or two or maybe a theme that strikes you. Um, One of the themes in this reading would be journey. So this passage seems to be shot through the grand theme of a journey, an exodus, a going out. And so when you think of that exodus story, you know, how is that exodus story applied to the Magi? How does that exodus story apply to my own life? You know, here we have these verbs, came, we have come, sent them, go, set out, going into not go back um so this physical journey of the magi um is an symbolic of the mystical journey that we all have the journey of faith and this is the movement of the soul that wants to know the lord so we have to embark on the journey and maybe the journey has some obstacles in the way. But as long as our eyes on the star and we follow the lead of the star, we will get to our destination because the Lord wants us there more than we want to be there, believe it or not. And so um you only fall off when you turn back or you choose to um look away.
0: Yeah, this theme of the star is very important. It's a very central element to this entire passage. The star has a role in guiding the Magi to their destination, of enlightening the night along the um, difficult journey and indicating precisely at the end of the day the place where the presence of the Lord is, of giving great joy to their hearts. Throughout the Bible, stars, of course, appear as signs and blessings and glory, almost a a personification, if you will, of God himself, who never abandons his people as he did not abandon the Magi on their journey. At the same time, it's a personification of the people that does not forget it's God and praises him, blesses him, worships him, pays homage to him. The word star appears for the first time in Scripture, actually in Genesis one sixteen, when on the fourth day, the story of creation tells us that the appearance in the heavens of the sun, the moon, and the stars as signs and as light to set order and to give light, the Jewish term star is "kukab." which is a very beautiful and full of meaning. The letters actually make up the word and reveal the immensity of the presence that a celestial uh, phenomenon like a star brings with them. Very important to all of this, of course, Jesus is also a star, the star that takes its rise from Jacob, that rises from on high, that is radiant, the morning star as in the apocalypse. In fact, in him has taken flesh and infinite love of God, which bends itself towards his children.
1: So all of these themes and these phrases help us to have a conversation, the oratio part, the step three of the lexio Divina. Um, And the last step would be, of course, to sit in prayer and receive, you know, what the Lord is giving to you and then... Uh, see how you are going to be changed and then that leads us into a closing prayer which i have um, brought forth um this is actually from divine intimacy by father gabriel of saint mary magdalene for the feast of epiphany and i think it is a good summation of our um talk and our prayer and of course uh, our, our alexa divina was was we're talking through it, so it is not as prayerful and as contemplative as it would be if we were just doing this on our own. But um, we're trying to help you understand the mechanics of, of the whole thing. So now we would end with this closing prayer. So I ask you to get quiet and turn inward to where the Holy Trinity reigns. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh my Jesus, while I beg you to reveal yourself to the world... I also beseech you to reveal yourself more and more to my poor soul. Let your stars shine for me today and point out to me the road which leads directly to you. May this day be a real epiphany for me, a new manifestation to my mind and heart of your great majesty. He who knows you more, loves you more, O Lord. And I want to know you solely in order to love you, to give myself to you with ever greater generosity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Well, thank you again for joining us on the preparation for the Feast of the Epiphany. A reminder that will be this Wednesday. Um, and also a reminder that we will be back with you again next week with another wonderful program. And we ask that you would keep us in your prayers as we keep you in ours until we're with you again next week. God, blessings on you. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless.